G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To have a marriage that works requires you to do two essential things. What are they? You are to leave and you are to cleave. You sever and you bond. You loosen and secure. You depart from and attach to. Coming up today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie points out the right way to build a marriage covenant that will flourish and stand the test of time. The husband's primary commitment must be to his wife and hers to him. This is the day when the lost are found. This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Again, you hear all the angels are singing. This is the day, the day when life begins. Every so often, We hear stories of married couples who've been together for 60 or 70 years. Remarkable. And then we hear about Hollywood couples. One marriage lasted 56 hours, basically a weekend. So what are the attributes of marriages that last and what causes a marriage to fail? Today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie helps us find the answers from the manual written by the creator of marriage. Good insight is ahead. Quick poll, how many of you are married? Raise your hand. Raise your, oh, okay, a lot of married people. How many of you are happily married? Raise your hand. <laughs> About the same, close. How many of you are single? Raise your hand. How many of you who are single want to get married? Raise your hand. Okay, not as many, so that's okay. I'll talk about that in a few moments. How many of you who are married wish you were single again? No, don't. <laughs> no, okay. So I heard about a mom and her five-year-old daughter that curled up on the couch watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs together. The little girl had never seen this movie before. She could hardly wait to tell her dad all about it. So daddy gets home and the little girl tells her dad the whole story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And then she talks about the part where the prince comes and kisses her and she comes back alive again. And then the little girl says, Daddy, you know what happened then? Knowing fairy tales, he said, well, then they lived happily ever after. The little girl said, no, daddy. Then they got married. (laughs) (laughs) So sometimes people think marriage can be like a fairy tale. We have this vision of love that has been given to us by movies, rom-coms, television shows, and other things where we think our Prince is gonna come to us riding on a white horse or our beautiful wife is gonna come to us on the beach at sunset running toward us in slow motion. That's how we'll know it's her. She's going in slow motion, right? But I don't really believe in fairy tales. We won't live happily ever after, but the question is, can we live happily even after? You know, sometimes people say, they have a marriage made in heaven, which is a nice sentiment, but does that mean other people have a marriage made in hell? (laughs) 
I mean, if you have a happy marriage, if you have a strong marriage, a marriage made in heaven, so to speak, that's because you have applied yourself. If your marriage is hurting, that's probably because you've neglected things to make it that way. It's been said marriage is like a three ring circus. Engagement ring, wedding ring, and suffering. Now, <laughs> I hope that's not the case for you. Because we want to do marriage right. I've seen it done wrong far too many times. Uh, as you know, my mother was married and divorced seven times. And as I watched that life of my mom, I knew that was not the life I wanted to live. But stats tell us if you come from a divorced home, it's a far higher possibility that you yourself will end up divorced. But thank God, Kathy and I are getting ready to celebrate 50 years of marriage. So. Heard about a couple that was celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. Friends and family were gathered. The husband stood up in front of everyone and said, my dear wife, I want to say after 50 years you've been tried and true. Well, the problem was his wife was a little hard of hearing. So she said, what? He said, my dear wife, after 50 years I found you tried and true. She shot back, well, after 50 years I'm tired of you too. Look, we need to do this God's way. He's shown us how to have a strong and lasting marriage. But there are people that think they can change the way marriage is structured or how it should work. A survey of millennials found that 43% of them would support what is called a beta marriage model, which means you would test the relationship for two years before deciding to commit or dissolve. And then at the end you negotiate and see if you want to remain married. This is so stupid on a number of levels. Here's the bottom line. People think living together is a good way to determine as to whether or not a marriage will work. Let me say this. If you want to undermine a potentially strong marriage, live together outside of marriage. You say, well, why do you say that? Well, number one, the Bible tells us clearly that we should make that commitment before we enter into a sexual union with someone. But studies show the same thing. Couples who live together are gambling and losing. In 85% of the cases, many believe the myth that a trial marriage can work, but actually it's more like a trial divorce where eight out of 10 couples will break up before the wedding or afterwards and divorce. So it's like how to sabotage a marriage, live together. So I know I'm talking to someone who's living together. Stop. <laughs> you need to make an immediate change in that area if you want to have a strong and lasting marriage. I wish we could take this word divorce and strike it from our vocabularies. Uh, wedlock should be a padlock. The Bible gives us all the information we need to know about how to have a strong marriage and a lot of us aren't even aware of what it says. So there's so many passages I could turn to but I'm gonna start with Ephesians chapter five. So turn there with me if you would, Ephesians chapter five. And while you're turning there, it's amazing to me that people will think so much about a wedding and think so little about a marriage. You can spend so much on weddings now. It's unbelievable. My wedding cost like $15. It was like a hippie wedding, you know? So 
It was pretty inexpensive, but people will think so much about the wedding. What about the marriage? Or they'll put so much thought into purchasing a house, but they won't give any thought to building a home. And that's what really matters. So here we have a foundational truth about marriage in Ephesians 5 verses 31 to 33. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, Paul writes, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Here's point number one if you're taking notes. God created marriage. God created marriage. It wasn't Adam's idea. It was God's idea. Before God created the church, before God created the state, before God created the school, before God created any of these things, He created marriage. That tells us something. That tells us that marriage is the very foundation of the family. And the family is the very foundation of the nation. As marriage goes, so goes the family. As the family goes, so goes the nation. And that is why our nation is in so much trouble right now, because of the breakdown of the family. And why is there a breakdown in the family? Because Satan hates what God loves. God loves us. He created marriage for us. Satan, knowing the power that marriage has and a strong family has on a nation, has done everything he can to undermine it. You know, it's worth noting that the devil doesn't even enter the scene until Eve is created. Now, I'm not blaming it on Eve. But I'm saying as soon as a man and a woman come together, the devil steps right in and goes, okay, we gotta put a stop to this. We can't have this. That's when the attacks begin. Uh, so we need to do it God's way. As my friend James Merritt says, and I quote, if you're in a bad marriage, it's not because God had a bad idea. Marriage is his ideal idea. The problem is we got married and we turn an ideal into our ordeal and then we want to look for a new deal, end quote. See, we've gotten away from God's original plan. It's great to have you joining us today for A New Beginning with Pastor Greg Laurie from Harvest Ministries in the U.S. We're looking to God's Word today in Pastor Greg's message, How to Do Marriage Right. Let's continue. Point number two. To have a marriage that works requires you to do two essential things. Again, to have a marriage that works requires you to do two essential things. What are they? You are to leave and you are to cleave. That's found right there. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife or cleave to his wife. In verse 5. The Hebrew word for leave is often translated abandon, as an abandoned ship. So the idea is the man must abandon the ship of his parents and the daughter the same, and the two of them must get into their own little ship called marriage. Now you're still a son to your parents or a daughter to your parents or a sister or a brother, but now a new family has formed. And this new family, this new union between a man and a woman must take precedence over all other family relationships. The closest relationship outside of marriage is specified here, a son to his parents. So now this is the new family unit and the primary responsibility now is to be a good husband or a wife and in time 
to be a good father or a mother. The husband's primary commitment must be to his wife and hers to him. So it's finding that right person. Heard about a guy that was having a hard time finding his wife because his mom didn't approve. Found a girl, he brought her home. Mother didn't like her. Found another girl, brought her home. Mother didn't like her either. So he goes out and finds a girl that looks like his mother, dresses like his mother, talks like his mother, brings her home. Now the father didn't like her. So <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> so leaving. A man will leave his father or mother. That means you give other relationships a lesser degree of importance. That includes best friends. And that certainly precludes close relationships with members of the opposite sex because now you're married. And now that could be a potential conflict down the road. So you leave and then you cleave. This word here for cleave means to glue or to cling. So the idea is like, let's say you're climbing up the face of a mountain, you're holding on tightly. So it's something you're holding on to each other. You're not stuck together. You are holding on to each other. So you leave and you cleave. You sever and you bond. You loosen and secure. You depart from and attach to. And your spouse should be your best friend. That's so important. Because marriage really starts with a friendship. And it should always be that friendship. You're not just business partners or lovers or parents or all the other things that you do. You are hopefully, first and foremost, friends. How well do you know your spouse? There's an interesting verse in Malachi 2.13. It says, The Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, although she is your companion and wife. Interesting. She's your companion and wife. And the word companion can be translated one you are united with in thoughts, goals, plans, and efforts. By the way, that's why you only want to marry a Christian. Look, marriage is hard enough being married to a Christian. Okay, let's be honest about this. It's challenging. It's hard. But to marry a non-believer, how can you be united with a non-believer and thoughts, goals, plans, and efforts? The answer is you can't unless the believer is disobeying God and, and is aligning themselves with the values of the non-believer. But it, this is very important. You're united together. And if you don't do this right, it will hinder your prayer life. Listen to this, husbands. First Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, dwell with your wife with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel as being heirs together of the grace of life so your prayers will not be hindered. Wait, what? What? In other words, God is saying, if you don't do this right, husbands, if you don't love your wife as you ought to, if you're not united with her, if you're not giving honor and respect to her, your prayers will be hindered. So if you feel like your prayers haven't been going anywhere lately, maybe this is one of the reasons, you see. And by the way, to dwell with your wife doesn't mean to just live with her. It actually means to be aligned to and to give maintenance to. You gotta give maintenance to a marriage. Just like you have to give maintenance to a car. And the problem is, is you know, you buy a new car. And you know when you buy that new car, you make all these vows. I will never eat food in this car. 
I will wash this car every week. I will maintain this car and then a month goes by and then a year goes by and then three years go by and you're shuttling the kids back and forth and, and you've done all the things you said you would never do and you've neglected the engine and you haven't changed the oil and you haven't done the things that you need to do to keep a car running and then the car starts sputtering and breaking down. Or even worse, you say, I'm tired of this old car. I want to get a new car, right? Or you might say, I'm tired of this old marriage and I want to get a new marriage. I want a new person. No, what you need to do is maintain the old car, if you will, and turn it into a classic. You know, when you see that, when you see a perfectly restored car uh, cruising down the road, it's a thing of beauty. I used to have a 1957 Bel Air. Now, some of you know what that is. I had the Continental kit. That means that, oh, it just was decked out. Gold trim is super cool. Problem was, no one wanted to drive with me in this car. I would say to Kathy, let's go out for a drive. Go, oh, Greg, I don't like it. I feel like we're in a parade. Okay. I'd pick up my son Jonathan after he surfed. Dad, do you have to bring that car? Everybody's looking at us. The only person I could get to drive in that car was my dog. So me and the dog had a night out. <laughs> you know, kind of sad. But that thing was in perfect running order. Original parts, matching numbers, everything. Then I sold it and I regretted it afterwards. But it's a beautiful thing to see a perfectly restored car. And it's even a more beautiful thing to see a perfectly restored, functioning marriage that has gotten stronger, not weaker, with the passing of time. So maintain, maintenance. You know we have something in our car called an idiot light. Maybe we need idiot lights in our marriage. Little warning, husbands, love your wife. When's the last time you told your wife you loved her? Or wives, respect your husband, stop nagging him. You know, little, little warnings, that'd probably be a pretty good thing. C.S. Lewis put it this way, and I quote. He said, people get from books, and I would add from movies and TV as well, People get from books the idea that if you married the right person, you may expect to go on being in love forever. And as a result, they find they are not. Now, they think this proves that they made a mistake and they're entitled to a change, not realizing that when they have changed, the glamour will presently go out of the new love just as it went out with the old one. Lewis concludes, in this department of life, as in every other, thrills come at the beginning and do not last. But if you go through with it, the dying away of the first thrill will be compensated for by a quieter, more lasting kind of interest." End quote. Very well said. So you hang in there. Good quote from C.S. Lewis as Pastor Greg Laurie brings us today's message, How to Do Marriage Right. Currently here on A New Beginning, we're presenting Pastor Greg's family series called Am I Doing This Right? Next time, more biblical insights from Pastor Greg as he continues his message, How to Do Marriage Right.
Today's message from Pastor Greg Laurie is called How to Do Marriage Right. If you'd like to listen again, just download the free Vision Christian Media app where it's available as a podcast, along with more inspiring Christian content. Just search your app store for Vision Christian Media. Station sponsor. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.